Welcome to Montessori Moment. I am Liz Strong. It's been a busy week with teachers cleaning their classrooms and preparing for summer. This time of year is always my favorite because it suddenly becomes clear just how much the students have grown as they prepare for their next adventure. For some of our students, that next adventure is Montessori Lower Elementary. So, as promised, this week I will play the second part of our Lower Elementary series where I talk with head of school and elementary expert Letty Rising. Hi, Letty. Thank you for letting me talk to you about Lower Elementary. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Liz. So you have tons of experience working with Montessori and working with elementary. That is true. As a head of school, a director, a consultant... A teacher. A teacher. You know all yeah, about that it. That pretty much covers it, yeah. <laughs> you know all about it. So um, I guess I'd like to start off first by asking you about like how you found Montessori or like what led you to it. Well, when I was in college in Santa Barbara, um, I was taking a class on alternative education and I was just learning about lots of different alternative education models. And I came upon Montessori, and I read about it and was really interested. So I decided to go visit a Montessori school in Santa Barbara, and I was just totally blown away by what I saw. I was like, wow, these kids are peacefully working, they're happy, they're focused, and I was super interested. Um, So that... That was sort of the beginning, though, you know, getting married, having children, moving around. I didn't actually get myself to the Montessori world for a few more years, but that was the beginning stages for me. And you um, took your training in elementary. I did. I actually took my training first with, I took my AMS training up in um, San Leandro, and that's for six to nine-year-olds. And then... Um, I was a director, a principal, you know, they change the title depending on where you're at, but it's all the same, an administrator for lots of places. And then I decided I wanted to get my 9 to 12 training, and I thought, well, why don't I just do my AMI, because then it's 6 to 12, and I get the whole thing. And the timing was right. Um, My daughters were older. I was able to take that year to do that. So um, uh, that's what I did. That's awesome. Um, So I guess my first question for you is super general, and maybe that will make it difficult, but tell me about the elementary curriculum. How does it differ from traditional school curriculum? Um, Yeah. Well, Montessori elementary education is cosmic education. And everyone is like, what's that? Cosmic. Um, you know, it sounds astrological. Yeah, but it's I was not. just going to ask you, <laughs> what is that? Um, it's basically, you know, that the universe is our curriculum. Um, and we have five great lessons that we tell at the beginning of the year. You know, some teachers spread it out. So you do like one a week over the course of five or six weeks. Sometimes they wait every couple of weeks. There's a variety of ways to do it, but the first story is the story of the universe, um, which is, you know, how the universe came to be, and then there's a lot of interesting little science experiments that go along with that, and then we have the timeline of life, so um, where how life began, and um, the progression of life throughout the different eras, and then we had the coming of humans, that's the third great lesson. Um, and talk, talks a lot about what makes humans different from all the other uh, creatures on this planet. And then we have the story of uh, the story of the alphabet and the story of numbers or the story of language and the story of math. Um, and we just talk about the importance of writing and numbers. And, you know, each of these great lessons is a huge story that we tell. 
And it really sort of everything can kind of go back to those lessons. Like when we're even doing a math lesson, we'll be like, remember in the story when we were talking about, you know, the, uh, the Egyptians and how they counted and how this lesson can relate to that. Or, um, you know, it's just, it's all kind of, it's to show that everything is, um, everything fits with each other. Everything is interrelated somehow. So it's not like we, we don't really like compartmentalize everything out. Like, okay, now we're going to do math time. Now we're going to do language time. Similar to primary, the children are doing lots of different things um, at the same time. Um, I can't remember what part, if you wanted me to. No, that was really helpful. Okay. Um, so I think as a parent, like, I think the first like visceral question about that would be, well, then how do you make sure that Mm. all the children do all the things? Well, that's a good question. As a primary teacher, I can maybe suspect the answer, but I think you probably have a really good Well, um, okay, so let me just sort of go into what a day kind of looks like, and then it sort of fits into that question a little bit better. Um, So in a Montessori classroom, in a Montessori elementary classroom, you know, as opposed to primary, the children are working in small groups because they are in a very social stage in elementary. And so working together is what they want and what they crave and what they need. So a lot of the Montessori lessons really capitalize on that. So Mm -hmm. we don't really have like, oh, you're just going to teach this one thing to one person. Everything is pretty group oriented. So, you know, I usually tell children when you're starting a brand new Montessori class and they're all new to it, because in public school, I've worked sometimes where there's kids who are all new to Montessori. (laughs) And you basically say to them, okay, this is what it's about. So you're either in a lesson with a teacher, you're practicing a lesson that you got from a teacher, you're doing some sort of follow-up work to cement the knowledge that you learned from the lesson, or you're doing some independently chosen project that you're interested in. So pretty much you're doing one of those three or four things all morning long. And how it works is that the teacher is giving lessons pretty much all morning long. The teacher will give a lesson to a group of, mm, it could be two kids, it could be six or eight. Usually you won't see more than eight. Um, And I'd say on the average around four kids is probably what you're giving. So you're giving lessons and the lessons are usually based on ability or interest. So... Um, Like, for example, in math, you're often going to be giving them based on ability. So where they're at and they're in the sequence of things. And but, you know, you might also see that some child is really interested in geography. And so you're planning a geography lesson. You're like, oh, I'm going to put these people in here. And then you have opportunities to kind of mix up different kinds of groups, too. Um, So the the teacher is usually giving a lesson. So they give a lesson for 15 20 minutes, um, work with the children, and then the children will some often have some sort of a follow-up work that they do, although some teachers don't require that. There's a lot of debate on, you know, do we require follow-up or do we not require follow-up? But they do need to practice what they're doing. So mm-hmm. so say maybe they'll give a, le- a history lesson and the teacher will say, how do you want to represent this? Do you want to write a book? Do you want to make a poster? Do you want to do a diorama? 
Um, and so she'll kind of send them off from their lesson and then she'll get another group of children for a lesson. So it's basically, it feels like a wave washing in and out. Like mm -hmm. there's children coming to the tables for lessons, leaving the table, then a new group comes and then they leave. Um, a lot of teachers write the lessons of that they are going to be doing on the board in the morning so that the children come in and they're like, oh, I'm going to have one at 10 o'clock on racks and tubes or something. Mm -hmm. Um, so they kind of know that that's happening. Um, they can structure their morning yeah, kind of around that. Yes. And in elementary, one thing that's very different from primaries, we have work journals or work plans. Um, you know, some people have it on uh, in a journal and some people have like sheets of paper that they write it in. Again, it's it's part of like the way the teacher wants to structure things. Usually with AMI, it's a journal based one. Mm -hmm. Um, and the children will write down and record what they do during the day. So mm -hmm. this is where the accountability piece comes in. Um, some teachers will have the children ideally write down the time, record what they're doing, and then write down the time that they're finished, and then they go on to something else. Sometimes if you have a class that's not all the way normalized, which means they're you know not all in the process of the Montessori thing, the teacher might say, okay, let, why don't you write down four goals for the morning? And and then they will check at the end of the morning and see like where they are with that. And, and then the next day they will add on, like they'll add on the goals they didn't finish maybe, or they'll mm -hmm. modify their goals. Um, some teachers will have them write in their journal as a reflection at the end, what did I do this morning? And they'll do it that way. Um, but the, the point being that they should be recording the work that they're doing in some way, shape, or form. And then the teacher can look through that and see, oh, you know, I see they're doing a lot of this or that. And, oh, I want to plan some lessons based on this looks like they're really excited about poetry. So maybe we're going to do some poetry or, oh, they, this one has not practiced math in a little while. We need to get, you know, get to their next math lesson. Or, you know, but before we do that, we need to, I, I need to meet with them. We also conference with them. It could be once a week. It could be once every two weeks. could be once a day, depending on the child. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, because we have some children who, you know, you're going to need to help them figure out what they're doing during the day. You might say, okay, how about you pick two goals and I'll pick two goals. And then some kids can just pick their own goals because they're at that place in their life. Right. Um, so, you know, sometimes it will be something that we they will need a little extra support from us. And then the conferencing helps because you can, you know, look through the journal and look through their work. And usually they have like a, a folder with finished and unfinished work or a file of it. Some teachers, you know, keep the books and uh, keep the work in journals. Some keep them in binders. Some mm -hmm. keep them in files. Again, it right. depends but on the organization But they're kind of building system. a portfolio. They are building a portfolio. Um, yes. And that seems like it'd be really helpful in like building the skills that they would need for for their life for always with I need to do this this and this when am I going to do it how am I going to do it yes um yes which are really important and, and a lot the, of us don't always have and, it, and it's important to remember I mean some Montessori teachers and schools get a little too locked into that where they will you know, want be fixated on the schedule so much that there isn't room for spontaneity. And so it's really important to remember that, like, this is a child-driven activity, actually. The writing in the journal, as long as they are able to have, you know, exercise that freedom, then they have a lot of responsibility that they can use wisely. 
if they're struggling with their using their responsibility wisely, then their freedom is more limited. So yeah. And, and again, when you have groups of children working, you know, they will sometimes start talking about their Pokemon or their favorite video game. And, you know, and a skilled teacher will allow some of that because that's part of the work too, is them negotiating all that. But you know, we have to also remind them, okay, let's come back to what you were, folk, what were you working on and, and see, and then go in that direction. Um, the cool thing about group work too, is there's just so much negotiation going on. Like say some kids were doing a research project on the timeline of life and they wanted to create a dinosaur diorama based on whatever era they're looking at or whatever. And, um, you know, they could each make their own, but if they make one together, then there's a lot of negotiating, like, how should we do this? And what should it look like? And these are the kinds of things that are really going to help them in their adult world, because, you know, in your job, you need to be negotiating all the time with the adults that you're working with. And the practice that they get in elementary is pretty phenomenal. Um, they become pretty expert negotiators and conflict resolution um, people are, they probably really learn how to work on a team. They learn how to be a part of a team, which is really nice. And there's also, you know, there are some children who do like to work just by themselves. Not a lot in elementary, but we have some who are a little more introverted. Usually the more introverted people will work like more one-on-one. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there are a couple of boys I'm thinking of in the classroom who come and sit near the office and work all the time. And they just, they sit together and they love kind of quietly working together. Mm-hmm. They don't really want to be a, a part of a larger group. But even a more introverted child often wants, like, a companion to work with. So um, I don't know if that answered your first question because I kind of uh, went into the day. No, it, it, it answered so many questions. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just going to ask you, what does the day look like? So they yeah. have that morning work period where there's kind of, like, waves in and waves out and lessons yes. and projects and extensions and practicing right. um, and negotiating social kind of interactions and then they have lunch and then Mm -hmm. is the afternoon kind of like a mirror of the morning the afternoon is generally a mirror of the morning i mean we usually have read aloud in the afternoon which many montessori elementaries do and so we read from a chapter book or it could be a picture book but oftentimes you know a chapter book for 20 to 30 minutes and and this is where you can get in like you know a lot of good like you know so you know talking about the setting and the plot and the characters and things that you know the quote-unquote common core standards like you know have them focus on that we don't necessarily have in our particular lessons but a lot of that can be addressed in the read aloud time and then they go into the next work period you know some people might do PE in the afternoon as well Um, we have literature circles and that's a nice time to do it you know usually do that once or twice a week Um, but it's basically another work period um, looking pretty much similar to the morning one so if, you had shorter. A, so if you had a child that was, like, really interested in one particular thing, like, mm-hmm. in primary, a lot of times we have children that are, like, very interested in airplanes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, and in primary we can kind of say, oh, like, this is your interest, I'm going to make um, vocabulary cards based on that, and I'm going to, mm-hmm. um, now that I know one thing you're interested in, we can kind of move it in all directions Mm -hmm. and we can learn about like where in the world that was made and incorporate the maps and learn all the language and then learn the reading and the writing and then learn the math of like how many and how long and how big and 
Um, that we that's very much that, similar to what we do in elementary too. Yeah, I mean we actually have the library down the street at our campus, so we're pretty fortunate. Every Monday, the children go and they pick out some books of things they're interested in researching and whatnot. There's a lot of research that goes on in elementary. They are reading books, they're taking notes, they're learning how to rewrite things in their own words. I mean, they actually the younger ones are generally copying because they can't read everything, but they're yeah. excited to they that's. That's a start. Maria Montessori encouraged copying too, so we allow that. And then as they get older, we're teaching them to, you know, paraphrase and use their own words and things like that. Um, But yes, we when they get interested and excited about something, we try to provide that. You know, we do a lot of, um, well, not as much as I would like for us to do, but we do going out experiences. So. Say if somebody's interested in a particular animal and we might find that at like the local zoo or if they're interested in learning how to be a chef. Um, actually, one of the other campuses at Solana Beach, I just remember I saw online recently that some child was interested in being a chef or something and they went to Whole Foods and interviewed one of the chefs. That's so, so cool. So, yeah. So it's really open-ended and that they can, there are all these paths for them to take to funnel their interests into, yes. but there's also an underlying like high structure of yes. the teacher looking to the children and making these plans about the lessons and making sure that the children are having kind of like a balance. Yes. I mean, we have our expectations, you know, the, you know, they need to have their math lessons, their language lessons. And, but we may say, okay, this person's super engaged in something. So we'll hit them up another time, you know, so you can be kind of flexible that way, but you need to always kind of come back to that. So there's the sort of the, you know, sequence of the materials and things and doing that. But there's also a lot of freedom of, you know, following the interests of the child too. Um, So there is a balance and, you know, we will have a child who might want to do, get fixated on a particular thing and do that all the time. But again, we have to look for balance and it's like, "Mm, you haven't done any math practice lately. So when would you like to fit that in? You know, would you like to do that today or tomorrow? Do you think twice a week is good three times a week? So, you know, there's a lot of like really trying to empower them to make their own decisions in that way. And there are sometimes we have children who, you know, will resist certain things and we'll be oh, like, Oh no, I don't think I need to do yeah. that at all. Yes. Never this week. <laughs> yes. And we'll, and we're kind of like, well, I think it's time to practice. So we, yeah. you know, sometimes we have to just say, this is how it's going to be. Um, you know, and that's a, the trick of being a Montessori teacher. Some people don't want to be that person who's like laying it down, but sometimes, you know, with some kids, they want and respond to a little more firmness of like, this is how it has to happen. Again, freedom and responsibility are very heavily intertwined. So if they are able to use their um, freedom responsibly, then they have a lot of freedom. (laughs) And if they're having a hard time with their freedom, then that freedom needs to be a little bit curtailed. So yeah. Yeah. And supported, yes, so that they can have exactly. it truly later. Yes, yeah, you know, and it and this requires a lot of you know follow up and accountability with the teacher because if they're like, okay, I you need to be practicing um, the checkerboard, you know, pretty frequently, so till we get to the next lesson, and you don't see that they're doing that, then you're like, okay, we talked about you practicing that, and it's not happening. So you know if. If it's not going to happen right now, it needs to happen tomorrow or this afternoon or, you know, maybe it needs to happen right now. 
So, um, but, you know, we find that if they have a lot of ability to do things that they're interested in, they're more open to trying things that they aren't interested in. But if we're like fixated on our agenda a little bit more, then they sense that and they're a little more resistant. So yeah, they're like, this is not about me. This is about your agenda and I'm no longer interested in it. Exactly. (laughs) That makes sense. How do you think that, how do you think that works for children that are not able for whatever reason to go to an upper elementary program? Do they, how do they do transitioning into traditional well are you saying transitioning from lower elementary or from upper elementary or at any point in that cycle okay i always feel really confident answering that question because my own daughters were in montessori and then we moved when they were like in fifth grade and seventh grade so they went to traditional schools at that point because there weren't montessori there and they did great. Yeah. Um, you know, my fifth grade daughter was very ahead in math. And she, the teacher said she was a total nonconformist, which I thought <laughs> was funny. But he loved her. And yeah. um, and she totally did fine with it. And my older daughter, like, she was like, whoa, with the homework at first. Like, yeah. because there, we didn't have homework. And so it took her, like, a week or two to get adjusted to, like, the volume of homework. But other than that, totally fine. And she's graduating UCLA, so she's fine. So it was fine. Yes. That's totally fine. (laughs) Well, I always love to tell this story, too. You know, I asked my older daughter, Zoe, when she was in high school, like, what makes you and your sister different from your friends who haven't had this Montessori experience? Because a lot of her friends went to traditional school. And at that time, she was in high school in Pittsburgh. And she said, well, and she thought about it for a minute, and she said, you know, me and Maisie really like to do projects and we're really good at them. And our friends who weren't in Montessori are only really comfortable doing worksheets. And so when they have to do a project, they sort of fall apart or don't know what to do and they stressed out. Yes. And there's all the steps involved. And this is where they shine and they feel like they do well. Well, I mean, if you think about it, when you grow up and go into the big wide world, you're really not doing a lot of worksheets, you know. Yeah, hopefully I, not. <laughs> and people are very, you know, they're, you know, project management, project oriented. So, yeah, I just, it's amazing the more I'm steeped in Montessori, how it mimics not only, I guess, quote unquote, the real world, but the way that the workplace is moving towards mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard about those places like WeWork or whatever, where they have, um, it's kind of like a Starbucks only, like, you know how at Starbucks there's a lot of people working and yeah. they they work at different companies, but they're all sitting at their tables. Uh-huh. Well, a WeWork is like, and there's lots of places like WeWork. I can't think of the names of all of them. Like co-working spaces? Yes, co-working spaces. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a bunch of people who are coming in and they're working on all these different things. And some have like cubicles for quiet. Some have like big tables where they're collaborating. I mean, how is that not different than a Montessori Montessori. elementary classroom? Yeah, and the like design, you know, I feel like we used to be like super traditional in our workplace design and everyone would have like their little office but then we mm-hmm. felt like we weren't collaborating so then we went the complete opposite and had these like open spaces but then like that, that was also hard for a lot of people was hard too. for a lot of people mm-hmm. and wasn't like how do you have a meeting how do you focus like yeah. and now we're in the this like middle phase where there are there's like open spaces available, flexible seating, available. they call yes. it. Yes. <laughs> yes, which is super Montessori. It is. And so, you know, the workplace is now more mimicking what a Montessori environment looks like. And it's kind of cool to see, actually. Um, 
And it makes me think that most education is going to be moving in that direction because we aren't sitting in our little cubicles just focused on ourselves anymore and being one piece of the cog it's like there's a lot of teamwork and collaboration and how do we fit this piece into that piece um and how do we embrace each individual like in the day that you described it sounds like you're having so the the elementary is mixed age just like and so lower elementary would be six to nine and so you're having a lot of small groups and those small groups like maybe everyone's the same age or maybe they're all slightly different ages or maybe they're vastly different ages but Mm -hmm. you're able to like embrace the strengths of each child and put them kind of in the group that they need to be Mm -hmm. for that level but also embrace where they need more support and it's not this traditional curriculum of like today we're doing fractions we did them today and now we will move on and we will never go back to fractions and the kid that maybe missed it just like too bad Mm -hmm. because it's over exactly I mean really we're mastery based so if a child is struggling with say I sit with a group of kids and we're doing fractions and they had the lesson first of all I might kind of check and see where everybody is and there might be one of those people I invited to the lesson who already really knows all that stuff and I might be like see you later I'll invite you for another lesson or they might want to stay and be helpful, you know. Yeah. Um, but there might be one who's, like, really, like, not getting it. Clearly, like, okay. So then I make a mental note. I'm going to invite them to a presentation with some other kids who haven't given that lesson to so they can have it twice mm-hmm. or three times, you know. And so sometimes you need to represent over and over again to certain children so that they have those, um, so they have that with yeah. them. And that's, and that's okay, too. I mean, it's amazing because we are mastery-based. We're not, like, performance-based. So we, we don't move on with a child until they know what they're doing. Right, until they're ready to move on. Yes. And that no, elementary is a bit different than primary. I mean, when I sit and I'm a child in the oral exams for MISD, they'll always say, well, what if a child asks to have this lesson you know, on square root and they're like, I don't know, seven years old or whatever. And then the answer is always like, you give it to them. So like, you know, you give it to them. That's what we were taught in our training. Mm -hmm. But if they, you know, and they may just kind of drop it and then you'll represent it at another time. Or they may be like, wow, I'm catching fire with this. So, so we can jump around a little bit or, and we do jump around a little bit more than primary, but within a particular sequence, like, you know, we don't do harder fractions when we haven't introduced the basic fractions, but we might do a squaring lesson when we haven't done fractions, you know, if it's a beginning one. So, you know, you can kind of do some parallel strands. That makes sense. Yeah. That's really cool. It is. And then we have six to 11 year olds at my campus in one class. So, and you can go six to 12, um, which is a, it's a pretty cool thing to see too, you know? Yeah. Um, Is there a lot of mentorship happening when you have that kind of age range? There's mentorship and there's also the older children really looking at the, or the younger children looking at the older children going, wow, look at the cool things they're doing. And the older children, you know, knowing that they need to be, you know, responsible role models for the younger children and taking leadership roles. So yeah, I would say that it's a really cool thing that That's not everybody gets, you know. Um, in a, I mean, even in a non-mixed age class, you have people who are more leaders and more followers, but it's just more prevalent in a Montessori classroom where you can have a, an opportunity to be in all of those levels. You know, you could start as one of the youngest, and then you are following usually. And then when you get to one of the older <laughs> la- places, you're like the leader, so... 
It's so exciting. What happens when you get kids that come to you t- for lower elementary that didn't come from primary? Well, how do they ha- like what if or what if they came from a different school or what if they came from home? Like what if they can't read yet? Mm-hmm. What how do they fit in? You know, I I have a different opinion about this than some people do. I'm, you know, and and the person who trained me was this way too. She said, you know, it's it's better than that they get a little bit of Montessori than none at all. Like, you know, why should we punish somebody by not letting them come in because they didn't know about us until they were in second grade. Um, So with that said, I'm really embracing and letting children come in at later ages when they didn't have early Montessori. You know, with that said, we have them come and do a visit in the morning. And, you know, the more important thing is they need to be able to fit within the social community. I mean, if they come in because they had oppositional defiant disorder at another campus and they're fighting with everybody, that's probably not going to work with us. If they come in with academic differences or they did something different, we usually can work with that, I think. Yeah, Um, especially probably if they want to be there. Yeah, I mean, we have a girl visiting here from Austria and she's here for two months. Um, She was here last year for two months and it's their vacation and they come out here and and come to school and she goes to a Waldorf school out there. They actually were going to put her in a Montessori, but they weren't happy with whatever Montessori they had out there. So Mm -hmm. they ended up having her stay in Waldorf. But they love our school, and she comes here, and she isn't reading all the way yet. But there's a lot of materials that the kids can use if they're not reading. We have other kinds of things. We have some of the late primary things that are in there. They can do a lot of math. They can copy, do copy work, practice their handwriting. So, you know, there, there are things they can do. There are some some people who are of the ilk that no, you shouldn't let them in past. Sometimes I hear five, six, seven, you know, yeah. people put a number on it, but I always like, can, you know, just as Maria Montessori looked at the individual child, can't we look at the individual child in this case too and see, you know, is this going to be a good fit for that child? I mean, I've never had a problem where somebody never had Montessori and they came in. We actually had five new kids this last year here who had not been in Montessori and they had the strongest work work ethic of all. And they have brought our whole campus into an amazing place, like just because they had. That's really wonderful. Yeah. And I mean, that was pretty amazing luck. That doesn't always happen where they're all just super mellow, hardworking, independent oriented kids. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think we need to be able to be open to allowing children to come in at Montessori in later ages with the ideal that they do come in earlier ages. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear when they've had, you know, we have our primary teacher here and we had elementary here before primary, but now that they're finishing up with her and coming over, it's very clear like how great it was that those kids had that and how they just come so much more prepared in general with, you know, the independence and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Montessori can work pretty well for most people and they can try it at different points in their lives. So how does the community work? You're saying, um, the, the new children come in and they do a visit in the morning and kind of we don't make sure that the community fit is right. Is it, um, is it, is that tied to practical life? Are they taking care of the classroom or is that more of a primary thing? No, they take care of the classroom. At the end of the day, they all have jobs and they rotate their jobs each week. Some people are feeding the tortoises. Some are spraying the tables to make them clean. Some people are vacuuming. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of a wide variety of chores and jobs that they're doing to be a part of the community. They have, you know, circle time. They have um, a gathering where they meet and talk about things. Sometimes they're talking about um, some social challenge they might have had on the playground. Um, and the teachers do a really good job at the elementary level, like really facilitating conflict and um also empowering them to use their own words and have a voice and make sure that people are, you know, learning how to advocate for themselves mm -hmm. and facilitating that process. Yeah. So what happens if they like have a job and that like that child just like doesn't do their job? Like, well, is that more of a like community accountability thing or? It's more of a, we have a really strange thing at our campus where the kids really like to clean. So it's really <laughs> um, a hard one for me to answer right now. Cause I mean, it's, I've had other situations, but I'm in this nice situation right now. We do have one who isn't as interested in it. And so I did hear the teacher talking to him about, you know, how there are just some things that, you know, she doesn't want to do during her day as well. And this is part of his role and that he will get a job he enjoys at some point. I mean, dusting the shelves isn't usually everyone's favorite job at, in elementary. They'd rather sure. do like feed the tortoises or wa right. water the plants, you know. So, you know, there's just conversation about responsibility and, you know, what, what people's roles are in a community um, and things like that. So we talk about it a lot with, you know, on at recess, they're playing a lot of group games, like basketball kinds of games and things like that. And they're really focused on the rules, you know, because the elementary kids are really focused on justice, like what's fair, what's not fair, who's being fair, who's not being fair, what adults are being fair, who, you know, and they are not afraid to point it out, like if they think somebody's not being fair. And so they're, but they're, it's interesting because they don't always notice within themselves when they're not being <laughs> right. fair. So they're, you know, we have to point that out too, saying, well, remember yesterday, you know, when this happened, you know, so we, we talk a lot about that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're developing their sense of morality in elementary. And that's just really important. I always say it's the age of like, telling because tattletelling yeah uh, like six years old especially is they're doing it a yeah, lot at that age i see them start to do it start in primary that in primary sometimes. yes and so it really hits its height and then six and seven years of age and really it's just them figuring out what's important for me to tell about and what's what can i handle by myself um, so, I mean, an elementary child is a social scientist of sorts. They're experimenting all the time. They're like curious and they're like, if I do this, what will happen? You know, and so they're learning cause and effect and, and, and logic, you know, when this happens, then this happens. Um, and they learn that a little bit in primary, but it's just expanded upon in the elementary years. Um, looking at what what when I do this, what will happen? And and it's just a huge experimentation for them. And that's, you know, there's more need to set limits in a certain way in elementary. In some ways less than primary, in some ways more. So Yeah, it's just very different. Yes, it's a different kind of limit setting. Yeah. So when you were a teacher, what was your favorite elementary material to present? Well I'm gonna just say in general, I I'm gonna say like I like the math materials because math was hard for me as a child. And because it was hard for me, I kind of know what the loopholes are for people, like where they get stuck, because mm. that's where I got stuck. 
Um, and these materials are so amazing That's at so showing cool. these things. And I actually really like the checkerboard. And it's funny because in that, that's an, a material that shows um, how to do long multiplication. And you could just do so much with it because you can actually do a lot of place value lessons with it. Um, you know, have them reading large numbers, creating and composing large numbers. So there's more than what it says you can do that you can do with it. And, you know, sometimes children like to actually create extra squares on the checkerboard that go off the board so they can create a number into the billions. Oh, that's know? cool. And so that's really fun, too. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Letty. If you have any questions about what we talked about or areas you would like more detail on, you can email me at estrong at laporteschools.com. Be sure to subscribe to Montessori Moment on iTunes or your podcast player of choice so you'll get new episodes right away. If you are on iTunes, please consider rating and reviewing us, which will help other people find the show and help me know what you're interested in hearing about. Until next time. Until next time.